Yep, 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 yep. Here we go. What's up, everybody? This is the voice of King Mo. Shout out to my man, John Reyes, writing Shotgun, the producer of what? Opening Set. As always, here's a little housekeeping. You can follow us on all socials under Opening Set. It's on Instagram, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, I don't know, wherever you kind of get your little podcast on. Um, today's guest is my man, Sonny James. Before we uh, break that down, this is also the first episode we recorded in uh, sunny L.A., I think we're in like Los Feliz or something. Uh, yeah, it was a nice little Airbnb. Anyways, like I said, Sonny James, the god from Philly. He's an accomplished international DJ, uh, an ambassador of the Philly scene, and um, does also art support for Serato. So the next time your computer takes a crap, you should go and bother him and email him uh, middle of the night and see what he says. So one of the things I like in this conversation is that Sonny, shout out to him. Uh, he admitted something that a lot of creative people, regardless of practice, don't do. That is that they admit when they bombed or struggled. And in this part, he talks about how he's a little unprepared and kind of rigid with uh, what he should be playing, what should be playing. And how his idols, Tony Touch and Common, really opened his eyes and caused him when he came back to the United States to kind of take DJing for real. I did this thing in Norway. Yeah, me and Grand Agent were booked to do a set. And then I played maybe, I don't know, maybe 30, 35 minutes after our set. Now, this was a bottle service club. Me and Grand Asian are there performing. They're like, who's this? It's the after party for this festival. But again, there's huge names on the festival. They're like expecting to see like Wyclef or like whoever else was on the bill. Not like Indie X. So Tony Touch was also booked as the headliner. I'm playing like records. This is before Serato, rolling with CD books and all that. So I had literally what was on me, which was Grand Agents, instrumentals, and like a handful of like raucous records. Okay, raucous, the big indie label. Exactly. So yeah, most F records, like all that lame. And I was bombing. I was Ooh. like, yo, this is just not going well. How, like, bad, how bad was it? It was uncomfortable. It was for like, you? It was people, like, were people for booing? me. No, no one was booing. It was If it was Philly, it'd be like that. <laughs> but Norway, <laughs> they were just kind of like looking around like, okay, uh, who's this guy and when is he getting off? And then Tony Touch got up and it was like every radio hit of the time. And I was like, yo, fuck this. This is corny. You know, I was like hip hop Nazi, you know what I mean? At the time. So I was like, this is disrespectful to the art. Storm out of there, grab my headphones and all my shit. And I'm headed back to the hotel. I run into Common and DJ Dummy. And they're like, yo, what's up, man? You cool? I'm like, yeah. And I look like someone just stole my bike. Yeah. <laughs> you're I'm upset. like, yo, Tony's in there and he's playing all this bullshit. And Common's like, like what? And I'm like, Jay-Z, Neptunes, like all this shit. And Common's like, oh, that's my favorite shit. See ya. And they like take off down there skipping down the road to get to this party. And I was like, oh, this is an eye-opening experience. And also in this conversation, we talk about his early, early connection to Holotronics. That's, you know, the infamous Diplo and Low Budget. Throwing your own parties, having a very good door person to kind of facilitate the party, uh, making money and making people feel welcome. Um, he breaks down the infamous Philly love and that angst, which is <laughs> which is really good. It's definitely something uh, hopefully a lot of Philly people can relate to. And then this is actually, this was really just something else. Relocating to L.A. It's one thing to be in a city when you're a creative person, you have you know a great career and you're thriving and you're getting work left and right and leaving that for another city. That's super tough. But imagine doing that with an entire family. That whole part of the of the story really was just something else. I'm glad he shared. The conversation was amazing. And there was so many awesome points we could pull. We were debating on should it be this, should it be that, and that's just really, you know, a testament to you know Sonny James being an awesome guest. But I think what it was we decided on is that careers they can be long, they can wind, they're not straight. And that's kind of how lives are for everyone, not just creative people, but just you know, people in general. So you can't really 
do anything except keep trying and, and take your craft where it is seriously with discipline. And then you can follow our dude, Mr. Sonny James, at Mr. Sonny James on Instagram, SoundCloud, MixCloud. Visit his website, MrSonnyJames.com. You know, pester him for Serrat advice, but also go see him DJ. Go listen to his mixes. He is a talent like none other. So here we go. Opening set, King Moe's, John Reyes, Sonny James. Enjoy. All right. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Opening Set Podcast, season two. What number episode? Jonathan Reyes. Seven. Episode seven, season two. Jonathan Reyes, our producer, making sure. Punch it in. Yeah, and you'll punch it in if I was wrong. If I was right, then uh, good on us. Uh, once again, this is King Most, the host. And today's very special guest, Philly, but living in LA now for how many years? Two. Two years? That's it? Mm hmm. Damn, it feels longer. Yeah. Anyways, New Sonny James, everybody. Oh, hey, hey. I might as well clap too, just yeah. to make it sound a little bit better. Yeah, punching some air horns, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> Word. Yo, thank you for coming through. Yo, thanks for having me, bro. Yeah, this is actually the first also episode we've done uh, not in San Francisco. We are in uh, beautiful Silver Lake? Yeah, Silver Lake. Yeah, Virgil yeah, Village? Yeah. Yes, Word. it's being uh, gentrified and turned to Virgil Village. Uh, so yeah, man, you're our first guest. And okay. If, and this goes wrong, we'll never do this on remote. Well, so, yeah, I don't yeah. know whether to feel special or to feel like, uh, yeah, this is just a test run and we'll scrap it if we don't like it. No, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll feel away. Feel a good yeah, way, man. No doubt. Feel a good way, man. So running down how I know you. Yeah. We know each other through like music and DJing for a while. Yep. I know you through Ill Vibe, mm -hmm. from Philly, yep. all of your edits and your mixes. Oh, work. Currently the past few years, but now the guy at Serato. Yeah, Serato LA. Okay. First question though, what is DJ Static doing right now? Is he dead? Is he, <laughs> that's your old name. You go by Sonny James, you say yeah, Static. Is, he, you know, is, he, is yeah. he watching Bird Box on Netflix? Is that's he DJing hilarious. a dive bar? What it's funny because I was just with my guy DJ Damage and we were just talking about like the weird uh, transition of DJ names. It's funny because like when I was going by the moniker DJ Static, all my family called me Sonny. And now it's like flip. So now like people who know me professionally call me Sonny and like people uh -huh. who know me for 20 years call me Static. Yeah, can I ask you a dumb question? Yeah. I'm going to ask you a bunch of dumb questions. Sure. By the way. Is that your real name? Your government? Sonny? Well, Sonny? Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, no, James is. Okay. But Sonny okay. is my nickname. Yeah. My, okay. Yeah. My dad gave me that name. So, so I used to go by Sonny James. Is your father a senior or junior or what are you? Or he just he's, called you Sonny? He's junior. My grandfather was senior. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So and you're I'm third. the third. Mm -hmm. So now you're Sonny. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Because I was realizing, I was like, I don't know, don't know his government. And then I was randomly looking up Sonny James and I guess it's like some country singer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, yeah. uh, yeah, I don't yeah. because I need to ask James his real name. I just yeah. know you're Sonny. Mm -hmm. So DJ Static, he's off somewhere in the mountains. What is he doing right now? Well, I'm gonna tell you, I went by Static for shit, half of my career. And the main reason I changed the name was because I got tired of going places like Europe and you know, wherever, Canada, and people go, Oh, you're the dude from We Funk Radio, or you're the dude from uh the ITF in uh, 97. And I'm like, no, not exactly. Holy shit. I just realized yeah. I know both those people. I never connected those three in my yeah. head. Every other major city that I went to in the world, there was a DJ static either on the radio or running the clubs or in the mixtape game. And I, it was just too confusing. So, uh -huh. so you yeah. said, I need to exit this. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you just kind of went by your real name. Yeah. Sonny James. Yeah. 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 Was that maybe a, an effect? It's maybe, you know, getting a little older that I need to kind of go by. Yeah. Partly like a rebrand move too. Okay. Because, you know, I was like kind of mainly known for like doing the independent side of hip hop gigs. Oh, that's right. And yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, there's yeah. just there was no money in that shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> what? There's no money so. in indie hip hop. Get the fuck out of here, man. Right. No, no, so no, yeah. yeah. So for me, it was like I want to get some of these corporate checks. Yeah. Some of these like you know bottle service club checks. Uh -huh. and, and there is that little bit of that wall, like we know DJs in common where they drop certain names, and they yep. change it, and mm -hmm. it's like they're now a little more sellable. Right. Right. Well, the thing for me, even aside from sellability, was. 
and that was a factor. But even aside from that, it was more about like. I don't want J Live fans coming up to me at the bottle service club sweating me for not playing like juggernauts. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> oh bro, my God. It's Hold not on, gonna wait, happen. You just said J Live and Juggernauts. <laughs> Holy fuck, dude. Right, yeah, right, that's right. Amazing. Right. If for our fans listening, uh these J Live is a you know a huge indie artist for the era, same with Juggernauts. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you one thing, I don't think Juggernauts fans are going to bottle service clubs. Well, you'd but... be surprised in Philly, bro. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had, I, I've had quite a few conversations where people sweat you for not playing like their favorite indie jam uh-huh. and like the pop in this top 40 club and it's so strange wait so this was a real thing then this for is, this sure is happening. What, oh 100 what, what years ever, this happening? you ever see j live's merch like over the past few years is uh real djs don't take requests yeah yeah I, now i firmly believe that came out of a conversation i had with him because i was doing a bottle service club playing jams you know kanye or whatever current jams Hits, were out yeah. gucci man or whatever uh-huh. and my fans from previous years would come up and be like yo this is not at all what I expected, bro. Like, where's the J Live? Where's the Dilla? Where's the such and such? Yeah. And I told him, and I was like, yo, bro, I'm in a bottle service club in Philly, and people are asking me for your records. And he's like, that's dumb. I wouldn't even play my own records in that <laughs> setting. So, yeah. Dude, you know what's so funny? One, uh, I think it's cool that you had actually fans from that era like yeah. follow you because yeah. I don't think that really happened. I mean, it happens, but I think like uh, again, I'm, I get the fact there's an overlap between yeah. indie fans going to like a mega club. But yeah. yeah, I think that's props to you. Well, that's a good problem to have. I don't know whether I can fully take credit for it or whether it's just like the ill vibe brand, you know? Because we, I feel like for our generation in Philly, there wasn't many people doing it. For the most part, it was just us and Scratch Mechanics in okay. our age range. Yeah, everyone else was like you know, Rich Medina and Amir and all the guys who are like 10 years our senior or more or almost 10 years younger, like Matthew Law and DJ yeah. Lean with it and all those guys. Yeah. So speaking of Ill Vibe, I have yeah. a lot of love for you guys because I feel like I know you and little Dave and, and tons of other dudes just forever from yeah, yeah. kind of indulging this kind of indie Philly sound and just our lane of kind of like remixes and, no doubt. and it bleeds over to hip hop, also future soul and yep, house music. For sure. You mentioned this whole Ill Vibe brand. Mm-hmm. Um, define that to me. Cool. So Ill Vibe Collective was basically formed in college. We all went to Philadelphia University in the late 90s. And uh, I'm going to say 2000-ish, we kind of formed a crew. And at first it was just me, my partner Philly Blunt, my partner Panic. And uh, yeah, me and Panic were just like design students. So a lot of the early like visual branding and stuff came, you know, mostly of Panic. In fact, he's kind of been like the visual brand identity manager or whatever for 20 years. Yeah, And not to jump in, but it's one thing I I realized that caught my eye that did a very strong visual component. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very brown and his logos, great fonts, like design shit. Yeah, design shit. And I think that was something that uh, even now for me always caught my eye, but especially at a time when not everyone could just make you know, yeah. uh, graphics. For easily. sure. So, yeah. Yeah, and we, you know, and honestly, our whole mentality from the beginning was DIY. You know, it was like, I don't want to have to call a company to do anything if I can help it, you know? So we learned to to do all that from designing our own flyers to our own, you know, website to engineering for artists to, you know, doing cuts on those artists' projects to doing mixtapes to producing our own music eventually having our own studio that we were actually doing like you know additional sessions in addition to our stuff and uh you you know we were we were in the crib like shrink wrapping cds like the whole nine yeah so from a top to bottom like Mm -hmm. you guys were this kind of like amazon or hip-hop yeah i mean in some way everything would be done i feel like that's kind of like normal now but at the time it was like no bro we do everything like we're in the crib with a paper cutter like cutting the flyers yeah you know like we weren't even going to a printer at one time yeah well i think you say it's kind of normal i don't know i think the idea of like a dj crew now Mm -hmm. is not it's a little foreign because i think 
DJing is a, even music making because we we're just talking about Ableton before yeah. we started recording. Yeah. Everything's very kind of singular now. You don't need your little homie or your big brother to show you how to DJ. You just literally just go on YouTube or yeah, YouTube kind of use the right? software and all right. that type of stuff. Right. So yeah, I, I think I think it's kind of sticks out in my head that you have this kind of co-op where you get everything done, taken yep. as in and how strong and how where the heights that El Vibe is doing this kind of all in one thing in Philly. Like how big was it at one point? Um, well, I mean, we still have a pretty decent audience. I mean, you know, we're all in I guess our late thir- mid to late thirties at this point, with the exception of Matthew Law, I think, who just turned thirty last year. But yeah, I think it is, yeah. the rest of us are pushing forty. So you can imagine our audience who was coming out to see us when we were college age are all have kids and so on and so on. So I feel like if we throw a, like a, one of our trademark parties, like Body Rock or something in Philly, then I've, you know, I think it'll be pretty good. We do, you know, probably a few hundred people, you know, yeah. maybe like 500 to 1,000, something like that. Wow. Which is pretty significant in Philly, especially for like not playing popular records, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. So the sound is still kind of this left of center. Kind of left of center. Yeah. Not so much backpacky. Yeah. Which is probably how I would define how we started. Yeah. Which yeah. was like, yo, I want to play Work the Angles at 1230. <laughs> <laughs> you know what no, I mean? No, you won't. No, you won't. <laughs> and I, not and on my I, watch. And I would do it. No, you won't. And it went off, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I, would, I could play the platform or whatever. Like these are, When I'm on the mic. For you know, our listeners, these are uh, Dial It Hit People songs. That, yeah. They were like pack. the crew of, uh, oh my God. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like my reference point for like what I wanted to do for a party was like, yo, I want to get off my like, you know, loop pack records <laughs> and, and not feel pressure to like push it in a different direction. And that's kind of how we like formed that whole party. And then over the years, you know, we worked in other things like UK Sounds and, you know, we all mm. started to travel a bit. So... You know, obviously, we get influenced by other places that we visited and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, you mentioned Body Rock, and that was on the list of things. Yeah. And I always like to talk to guest DJs about, you know, if they throw a party, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And what's the purpose? What yeah. was kind of the the manifesto, the mission statement behind right. Body Rock for So, the tagline for the party was uh, hip-hop, funk, classics, and culture. Okay. That kind of defined what we were about and the community that we sort of formed around that party. Was that kind you of know. the thing at first, like we wanted to build a community or the party came and then the community formed? Well, it was kind of like a little bit of give and take. So we were really known in like the B-boy, B-girl dance community okay. in Philly. So we would, you know, my partner Phil and I, we would go and do battles for like Zulu Nation and like different kind of like you know, just B-Boy jams and stuff. The big break and cruise. Okay. Yeah, and we would even set up at, like, uh, the CEC, which is, like, community college practice hall in Philly. I think every Wednesday night or so, they would do a practice jam. And we would just go, not asking for any money or whatever, but we just wanted to practice. They wanted to practice, so we would go and, and mess with them. So uh, I think just out of that, us supporting that community, when we decided to throw a party, we're like, hey, guys, we're doing this thing Saturday. And they're like, oh, word. So they were in there. It also helped that we had our own door person and we kind of got a lot of people in under 21 okay. at that time. So We were just talking about a party that uh, John, our producer, does. And one of the success of that is having a really strong door person. Yes. I've done parties with a strong door person. Yeah. I've been to other parties where the door person is like... Really kind of an unsung hero. Uh, so Facts. So yeah. to you, what is the key elements that a good door person should have? Well, first of all, to be friendly. I mean, we've hired people that were just clearly not the right person for that environment. Because so like I said, friendly, we're trying right. to, not only do we want to like get the records off that we care about, but we want the whole experience to be welcoming uh-huh. and inclusive and everyone to feel welcome. Like they're coming into my home. So to have a door person like look you up and down and, you know. I can tell you right now, you're not getting in here with those Nikes on. You know what I mean? Uh, like, that's yeah. a bunch of bullshit I don't have time for. Yeah. And I feel like if we as a crew wouldn't feel comfortable walking up to the door, then you're the wrong person. You know what I mean? Because our crowd thinks like us. 
So definitely friendliness. Um, also sternness, too, because I'd say probably 70% of the people or more knew us personally. So everyone's <laughs> coming to the door like, yo, Static's the homie. He's like, my roommate. Right. I exactly. literally have his keys. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. All that. So, uh-huh. you know, it's definitely a balance between, like, being personable and, you know, not being a pushover because... You know how it is, man. You could be charging $2 and there's someone that's going to argue at the door. Yeah, I think for me, I'm kind of the point where I just want my folks to come through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do just certain places where the night will go well. Yeah. But if your friends are there, the night will go even better. Because, oh, 100%. Because you get a little more, you kind of get those certain things off that you would maybe not personally play. Yeah. Because they're there, the song you guys connect with. Right. Or you and your homegirls right. know, it's like you'll play it or whatever. Well, that means you have good friends. Cause I, yeah, yeah, cause yeah. I've seen, you know, I've seen it go the other way where, oh, shit. Okay. where, yeah, where friends will show up and they pout until they get their idea of whatever's hot played or they bring their friends. So then it becomes about impressing now this third party instead of it being about an engagement between you and your homies. Dude, my brain is like going through so many situations <laughs> where it's like, yeah. oh, what's up, homegirl? And then, like, oh, then I have some friends from out of town and they're like, yeah. Yeah, but you know, hey, that's uh, you know, what's the worst that can happen? They 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 leave, well, maybe leave early. You I, know? Can, I can tell you the worst that can happen. Oh no, I, I got dude, I got stories <laughs> yeah. about you know yeah. getting physically assaulted, but that's well, later right, in the right. conversation. So we got sternness, we got friendliness. But what happens if that door person becomes such like a factor of the party? Does that door person now need a door person? Like, or is that or what, that's a what's good, the peak? That's a good question. I think you know, and I talked to Rich about this too because he's probably one of my main mentors since I was you know Yo, in my he's, teens. He's everybody's much. mentor. Yeah, he's yeah, everybody's yeah. Big. And I mean that with respect and sincerity. Yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So I think you know one of the things that he would tell me back in the day in terms of bringing on like quote unquote staff for either events or our business or whatever it was just like to be careful about bringing people in who also want to be you. So I think it's important like when you have a door person or, you know, any person who's like sort of playing the background that they're not like, all right, I'm working the door today, but next week I'm going to be DJing. Like you don't want that shit at all. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's important for people to like have goals and like aspire to do bigger things. But at the same time, like your role that we invited you to play. Uh-huh. Is the door, and so. it's also a job, and also and you it's a job. you are the, basically the the front line of are we making money or exactly. not? Am I making my rent? Am exactly. I paying my bills? Exactly. So. so if it's about you wheeling and dealing, you know, relationships, so you can like, you know, whatever, have your own fame, then it becomes a conflict of interest at that point. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. You're there for other reasons. It's for like when sure. you get a job, and you're trying to use that to parlay that to something else. Yeah, which happens a lot in the music industry. Right. Like, I'm starting here, but I'm passing off my demo. To right. That's like nah, right. That's that's not gonna happen. I mean, the one exception to that. Rule is my homegirl Queen Joe, who's an artist herself, but she typically would work the door for us at body rock parties as well as the friends and fan parties that we throw. Oh, in yeah, 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 yeah. And she's just like relentless, bro. Like people come up, she's like, I don't care who you know. If you're not on this list, I'm sorry. You know, she'd probably charge her mom if she came to the door. <laughs> probably not, but you know what I mean. It's just like she's very serious about making sure we get paid because she sees how hard that we work. To put it all together. And it's just like a slap in the face if we leave with, you know, 50 bucks a piece, but we all had fun. It's her having that bigger vision. Like, it's not just about doing a good job. It's about respecting these guys that are, this this is their craft. Exactly. Exactly. You know, we're talking about Philly, and I always think about this. I think one of the first times we hung out, we were all coming from the Strat offices. Mm -hmm. We went to get, like, these crazy big ramen noodles. Uh, It was, like, walking distance from the office. I don't know what it was. And I remember this clear as day, you go, we're talking about Philly and music, and, you know, I'm sure you've had this conversation a million and one times. I'm so scared what you're about to say. No. (laughs) You go, Philly just does not give a fuck about its own talent. No. 
Uh, wait, wait, well, okay. So for our listeners, there's we got everybody from like Meek Mill yep. to Hall Notes mm-hmm. to you know Rich Medina, our boy Matthew Law, right. Jabir, Beer, yep. you know R and B late nights, early two thousands. Holotronics, Jeanne, you know, yeah, yeah. Diplo, like yeah, I'm yeah. naming a lot of stuff, not yeah. just niche stuff. Mm-hmm. Philly does not give a fuck about it. What, I, don't I mean, know. If I, I, well, if I misquoting you or I give, walk that down? I don't think you're misquoting me. I was probably said it with that sharpness, but the reality is Philly's unimpressed. And, okay, maybe that's what it and was. And I think that that's the reason why we all work so hard because in order to like make any impression whatsoever, you have to be better than what they've seen before. Or at least on par, you know what I mean? Or else you're just forgettable. Worst case scenario, they boo you, snatch your chain, kick you the hell out the club. Literally or figuratively? Both. Literally. Okay. Phillies, I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna say this in a way that disrespects Philly by any means, but Philly's very serious about everything. It can be hostile at times and there's a lot of poverty there. There's a lot of like angst, you know, quite frankly. And it's a very black city. And people are not easily impressed. So, you know, if you go to play there, you got to be ready to bring it or else someone's willing to take your spot and possibly someone's willing to, like, say something nasty to you at the party. Like, oh, you suck. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I was hanging out with Case Bloom and I quote, he goes, oh, yeah, Philly crowds, they'll eat your lunch. 100%. Meaning that if you're, like, fucking up, they'll let you know. And kind of, I guess, he was not exaggerating. He was actually telling the straight up truth. Dog, they booed Beyonce. (laughs) They booed Beyonce. They booed Beyonce. They what booed, and where? They, at the uh, playoffs, because she came. What? She came on the court with a Lakers jersey. They were like, "Get her out of here." Well, as somebody that does not like the Lakers, I, yeah. I, but I love Beyonce. Right. So I kind of okay. Right. All right. Well, so uh, I'm conflicted here. So, <laughs> so yeah. But there's like you know tons of uh, stories like that where oh Chingy's performing at the mall. There's a bunch of kids. It's going to be lit. And then they're like, no, they snatch Chingy off the stage, take his jewels, uh-huh. and that's the end of the show. But it was Chingy though. I mean, there's Chingy. I mean, <laughs> but I've it was heard, Chingy. I've heard, I mean, I've heard stories about Too Short. Like I've heard. Yeah, I've heard. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. 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 Now, now we're yeah, exactly. My next a little tough. Okay. They booed. Well, yeah. Philly's not that cool, anyways. All right, <laughs> that's why you left. Because right. Philly, yeah. Well, well yeah. I mean, you know, if I ever go to Philly, I'm gonna get people that wear the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, well, like a nice stale Gino's uh, cheesesteak yeah. would beat me to death. Over La- it. Later for Gino's. Yeah. Okay. Is it the other one? What's it? What's <laughs> later? How do you meet? Later, so for, later for Gino's and Pats. But for okay. anyone listening who's not from Philly, like uh-huh. Gino's is not it. Okay. Or okay. They both. have a history of being like super ignorant and racist as fuck. So okay. Yeah. Well, later fuck for Gino's. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck both those places. I mean, their steaks are just trash anyway. Even if they are like great people, their steaks are trash. No, I don't care. They could be the best yeah. thing. They could. No, yeah, yeah, they did yeah, not yeah. deserve my hundred money. Yeah. Facts. So Philly, they're unimpressed. They're so, very unimpressed. Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, you got to think about it. Like Jazzy Jeff's from Philly, so that covers the DJ world. He's the goat. You know what I mean? Black Thoughts from Philly. Bahamadia's from Philly. Like all these people are extremely talented. So if you grew up in the '90s and you watched all these people, like. You know, Will Smith and like Beanie Siegel and Eve and all these people are like top tier God, levels. I'm forgetting. Being, I was going to say Freeway, but yeah, Beanie and Eve. Free, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All these people are like top tier for what they do. It's very hard to be like, hey guys, I'm a rapper too. Check me out. Yeah. Even like, that, even that draws. Congrats, bro. Yeah. Even that draws indifference no matter where. Mm-hmm. So. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. But especially in a market where, you know, they've seen the best of the best, the cream of the crop. So you take angst and this racism mm-hmm. and you take it with this high level of talent. Yeah. So does it create kind of crab in the barrel mentality or, or is it, it does is it, to some extent but it also unites creatives okay. in, a, in a weird way because like 
Philly's very critical of their own, but the minute that someone who's not a Philadelphian is critical, it's like, like hold me, on, fam. Like- <laughs> it's like, okay, bro, like, I might not be in good standing with this artist, but that doesn't mean that you can now come and talk shit about them. It's a weird, like, love-hate thing. Yeah, it's like family. Mm-hmm. Like, only I can talk shit about right. my uncle. And honestly, we just saw that with the new mascot for the Flyers a couple months back. Uh-huh. Gritty or whatever. Yeah. Everyone in Philly was like, yo, this is trash. Like, everyone was making fun of it. I mean, as you can imagine, my social feed is probably like, you know, 70% Philly people. So everyone was trashing it. The minute non-Philadelphians jumped on the bandwagon was like, yo, Gritty's garbage. Everyone turned around and was like, no, nah, Gritty's the shit. What is your problem? <laughs> it's just this weird dysfunctional like relationship. Yeah, I feel dysfunctional. It's like, yo, we don't like us until you don't like us. Then we love us. God damn, dude. Uh, it's it's a lot to grow up So around. is it like that just, you know, all throughout, like, the minute someone hits adolescence or kindergarten, or is it just kind of at a certain point when you're in the artistic world where it becomes kind of intense? Dude, there's three-year-olds on the buses with a scowl. Like, <laughs> don't even look at me, bro. I mean, that's my experience of it. You ask someone else, they might, you know, give you a different opinion. But from my view, it's, you know, it's pretty serious. Well, what's funny is that, this whole time just realizing right now it's it's called the city of brotherly love and it's that's the irony right yeah Yeah. what the fuck yeah yeah and i think to some extent the city earns that title once you get to know people because i feel like if you like you said like you know you have love for ill vibe it's like once you get to know us it's like we're fam you know what i mean no matter what but it's like it takes something to get past that threshold you know is that just maybe east coast cities or because i could see that yeah because i feel like Things can be clicky no matter what, like in yeah. San Francisco and here in LA and mm-hmm. even, you know, within the clicks, there's inner circles. But yeah, yeah I've never seen so much kind of like self-love hate mm-hmm. uh, the way you're describing it. Yeah. So, and yeah. it's extreme. Yeah. And I think part of it is because New York is so close, but there's no like industry, quote unquote, in the city of Philly to speak of, really. So is it chip on the shoulder, little brother attitude yeah, a little definitely, bit? definitely. And then you see it even worse with the outskirts of Philly, like Chester, Delaware, Reading, like all the little like suburbs around Philly. What are those? They I, look what at are they? Philly like Philly's New York. Okay. But then if you live in Philly, and you, especially if you're creative, you're looking at New York like, well, there's opportunities there, but fuck New York. <laughs> it's just this weird thing. Is Philly going through their own like gentrification as well, like <laughs> most cities? or <laughs> I guess so. Or? Are they ever? It's like... I'd say I always say like within ten years, Philly's just going to be one big luxury apartment. Okay, and we're so, all just oh, gonna... so it's San Francisco now then. Yeah, yeah, oh, exactly, okay, okay, exactly. Well, Same well. deal. <laughs> it, no, it's it's mental. Part of it is magnified because the real estate in Philly has historically been cheap, and it's still like a hop, skip, and a jump from New York. So now a lot of like developers and realtors from New York are actually buying up all the property in Philly you know, at a fraction of the price of what they'd buy, like, waterfront property in, like, Manhattan. Yeah, you know kind I mean? of speculating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think it's, it's so weird because I just spent time in this small city called Reno, ne- Reno Nevada, yep. which is about three hours from San Francisco. And I went there to see a friend who opened a bar, and I was so, like, crushed and just kind of, like, disappointed that there's, like, a little scene there. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a craft cocktail bar. There's a pour-over coffee spot. There's, like, yep. a hip bar there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, holy fuck. Like, if Reno Nevada, which... Had zero, I mean, again, I don't want to, you know, diss, you know, Nevada. Of course not. But there was nothing there before that. I right. guess because of the push and pull of Bay Area, it's causing people to go there. So yep. that's, uh, so if it happens in Reno, it makes sense as it's happening in Philadelphia, oh, it's, naturally. It's, it's, every time I go back to Philly now, which I'd say probably two, three times a year at this point, it's like a different place every time. Oh, And boy. it's getting to the point where I'm like, wait, what was here before? I don't even remember what was here before. Yeah. Now it's a dog park. <laughs> or like, a, you know, a... Uh, 
what is this shit called? Beer gardens. Okay. And is that, are these conditions affecting the DJ nightlife from what you know? Cause uh, kind of, yeah, it's kind of hard for me to tell, but from what I can see, a lot has changed in that regard. Yeah. There's just different bars now that are like, to me, hood bars, but now they're like Gentro, like beer garden spots. Okay. <laughs> but it was the hood when I was there. Okay. So, so the, the bar is there. It's, it's a little quote unquote nicer. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is. I yeah. know it's in a, in a neighborhood that wasn't traditionally welcoming it uh-huh. before. Okay. Because I think I'm asking the question because in SF, when we got our crazy like second wave of dot com, mm-hmm. a lot of bars and clubs are shutting down. It became something else. And yeah. People had to get forced to move out. Yeah. So DJing has kind of like be reshifted to. Um, most of, a lot of parties are now happening in Oakland. So right, was, right. has that kind of happened to Philly, do you think? Or? A little bit, because okay. I feel like a lot of the parties before would happen in either like downtown or like a part of South Philly called like Society Hill or, or even Old City. And I feel like a lot of the parties that I'm seeing now is starting to happen in like West Philly. I'm even seeing stuff happening in like Germantown, which was like never happening before. Wasn't in Germantown? I think. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. Wasn't that where like the early holotronics parties were at? No, nah, uh, the early holotronic parties were in. Um, I guess for I guess it's Northern Liberties, which okay. is like North Philly, but okay. no, nah, that's not Germantown. So Philly definitely is getting changed by gentrification. Yeah, like yeah, for DJs sure. aren't just kind of, and then they obviously have to go and find new clubs to work at and yeah. new alternatives or whatever. Mm-hmm. Side note, uh, Ill Vibe used to do the sound for Holotronic. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah we provided dude. the sound system for that. Dude, one good thing about the podcast, there's always like little random gems. Yeah, yeah. And that is a random gem. Yeah, yeah, yeah like we've had sure. some crazy ones, especially uh, for this season, but that's a, that's a dope one, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to go to every one. It was, yeah. it was, it was fun times, man. To, to go see uh, Mike and quote unquote Wes. Yeah, Wes Gully. <laughs> Wes Gully and the homie Mike. Well, yeah, Wes Gully is now Diplo the, and, yeah. and all those guys. And the, the great part about it was, uh, you know, Mike and I were like low know, budget. The low, other yeah, half low budget. Yeah. Low budget and I were like the go to backpack DJs at that time. It was like, <laughs> yeah. So I'd say, you know, late 90s to, I guess, maybe 02, 03 when they started Holotronics. If you want to go out and hear Elder Sensei, uh-huh. it's, you I'm your guy. guy. So kind of we're talking about at the top of the conversation. That yeah, whole yeah. Early, you were that. You ran that. I was lane. that guy. Right. But you slowly transitioned. And, and then I, I also DJed for J-Live. I DJed for Schools of Thought and, you know, Hezekiah and Bahamadia and all these like other. You were that NDX. guy. NDX. I, yeah. I was the guy to yeah. the core. And low budget was too. He was like the other guy in Philly like that. And we did a lot of stuff together. Like we would show our indie hip hop party rocking abilities. You know, I remember he came up to me one night at a party. I don't even know if I was playing, but he came up to me with this like shitty looking flyer. (laughs) And he's like, yo, my birthday party Saturday. I'm not playing any hip hop. It's going to be nothing under 130 BPMs. He's like, if I can't pop to that shit, I'm not playing it. And I was like, okay, word. And it was like him and Wes Gully. And it was like the first Holotronics. I think I still had that flyer too. And was it a total shit show? I don't think I made it because I think I was booked somewhere. <laughs> but book when I talked to him, or well, I, yeah, I was probably <laughs> yeah. doing some hip hop shit or something. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Shout out Hezekiah though. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And when I talked to, yeah, when I talked to him maybe the week after, I was like, yo, how was, how was your birthday, bro? And he was like, oh, it was crazy. That's, that's all I'm doing from now on. And I was like, wow. damn, transition has been made. There, I mean, that's all I kind of take yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was there like a, a moment for you when you're like, you know what, I'm really over this kind of world? Well, I don't know that I was ever really over it as much as I just wanted to expand my audience. A lot of it, too, was like righteousness. Okay. Know? What do you mean righteousness? Like, like, from, like, all right, so for instance... Uh, my first Europe tour, I uh, was out with a grand agent. I used to DJ for grand agent as well. <laughs> my first Europe tour was with him, Loop Pack, and, and Common. It was uh, uh, for like Water for Chocolate that time. 
we were doing some club in Norway. <laughs> and it was an after party for this festival. Uh-huh. I'm not laughing. I'm just laughing how great that is. Like you could tour, be an indie guy. Oh yeah, see no, the it fucking dope. world. That's no, it great. Was, it was yeah. incredible. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was it was eye opening too because it was like treatment that I didn't expect. First class flights and like it was like nice, it was okay. super nice. So, so it was like that thing where you have to go another place to get it really appreciated. Yeah, exactly. Because our shows, me and Grand Agent would perform in Philly, and there'd be five people there, three of which are on the list. And like one is like my girl, and like <laughs> one is like his girl. Someone you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was just yeah. pitiful. And then you know, one day he's like, "Hey, you do you have a passport?" And I'm like, "No, what's up?" He's like, <laughs> "I got a Europe run. If you want to go, can you figure it out?" And I was like, "Yeah." And then figured it out, and then we went. And, and then went, I, I didn't, like, and I literally didn't ask any questions. I was just like, it wasn't like, well, how much am I getting paid for this? It was just like, yo, I'm 19, bro, let's go. And it wasn't until we were on the plane, like, halfway there till I was like, yo, who else is going to be there? And he's like, uh, I think uh, Loot Pack's going to meet us there, and I think Common, and then uh, I think we got a date or two with Alanis Morissette, and I think we got something with uh, Coldplay. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, it was shocking, you know what I mean? And then we'd get on stages, and it would be, like, the real deal. Like, festival, 20,000 people. I like how you just listed, like, Coldplay and Last More Set. I didn't want it to be, like, oh, Lupac, Mad Lib's old group. Right, like, right, like right, right, right. Like, the nerd that I am. Right. Not like, oh, wow, Coldplay. <laughs> yeah, oh, my yeah. God, early Mad Lib. Anyway, right, yeah, so, yeah. So you had to go to another country. So anyway, yeah, going out there and seeing that, it was definitely, like, what put the battery in my back to, like, do this as a career. Because before that, it was like, yeah, DJing's a hobby, but I'm probably just going to be, like, an investment banker or something in the design world because that's what I went to school for yeah and then when I came back I was just like oh shit if I can sit on flights next to Common every day and this is his career then why can't it be mine and my whole language like with Ill Vibe would be different like they'd be like oh yeah this is fun I'm like nah fuck fun like let's make some money let's do this for real me and Grand Asian are there performing they're like who's this it's the after party for this festival, but again, there's huge names on the festival. They're like expecting to see like Wyclef or like whoever else was on the bill, not like Indiax. So Tony Touch was also booked as the headliner. I'm playing like records. This is before Serato, rolling with CD books and all that. So I had literally what was on me, which was Grand Agents instrumentals and like a handful of like raucous records. Okay, Rock is the big indie label. Exactly. At the time. So yeah, most deaf records, like all that lane. And I was bombing. I was Oof. like, yo, this is just not going well. How, like, bad, how bad was it? It was uncomfortable. It was for like, you? It was people, like, were people for booing? me. No, no one was booing. It was, if it was Philly, it'd be like that. But Norway, <laughs> yeah. they were just kind of like looking around like, okay, uh, who's this guy and when is he getting off? And then Tony Touch got up and it was like every radio hit of the time. And I was like, yo, fuck this. This is corny. You know, I was like hip hop Nazi, you know what I mean, at the time. So I was like, this is disrespectful to the art. Storm out of there, grab my headphones and all my shit, and I'm headed back to the hotel. I run into Common and DJ Dummy, and they're like, yo, what's up, man? You cool? I'm like, yeah, and I look like someone just stole my bike. Yeah, (laughs) you're upset. Yo, Tony's in there, and he's playing all this bullshit, and Common's like, like what? And I'm like, Jay-Z, Neptunes, like all this shit, and Common's like, oh, that's my favorite shit. See ya. And they like take off down there skipping down the road to get to this party. And I was like, oh, this is an eye-opening experience. Was it a tough me, lesson? Or say what? Was it a tough lesson to kind of feel? It was, yeah, it was tough. Because to me, Common embodied that whole mentality that I, that ill vibe was at the time. You know, which was like hip-hop over everything. Like, who needs money? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're doing this for money, you're not keeping it real, son. Yeah. yeah. Again, shit, a 19-year-old kid would Facts. definitely think about Right. You, well, and I had responsibilities, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, but still, it was like, to me, 
that was like how you made it was you keep it real, son. You ignore all the popular shit. That's everybody else's thing. Because again, my lens is like through our success with like Body Rock and yeah. maybe a couple other things that we had done and me DJing for artists and all that. So in my mind, I'm like, if I can get this far without playing popular shit or expanding my audience, then later for that, what is Tony doing? So what were some of the things that, again, that were like, okay, let's totally do a 180 in my career. Right. What were some of the things you did right away or some things that you did oh, back then so that people used to do now so, today? So that was a moment that definitely made me think about it a little bit more. But again, I went back to Philly where I had gigs where I could still play the Keep It Real set. So I was good. But then a few years later, I had to do some girl's birthday party. And it was just whatever. It was like booked at a club, but like the club was kind of closed for her event. So it was mostly her people. And... You know, she was super chill about it, but she was like, yo, I'd really like it if you play some of this and some of that stuff that I wasn't normally playing. And I was like, okay, I got to make a decision. Like, am I going to take this money that's definitely a decent amount of money or am I going to, like, fight with her and the crowd all night <laughs> because of my party. DJ principles at her freaking birthday party? And I was like, this is stupid. Let me just play what people want to hear because this is my job. And I'm going to do as good a job as I can, obviously with like trying to maintain who I am creatively, but also cater to them because it is a service. And that was the moment. And like when I did that, I was like, man, this is so much less stress. Give them what they want and then also give them some of what I want. And everyone's happy. I like what you just said about service and less stress. Mm -hmm. Like so you feel DJing is a service. It is. 100% in, in the club atmosphere. I look at it like this because I would have this conversation with Bahamadia when we used to tour she didn't want to perform a lot of her early stuff. She'd be like, I got all this new stuff with way better bars, so and so on. I don't want to do shit from collage. And I'm like, well, I hear you, but if you go to see the Ohio players and they don't do fire, how are you going to feel about that? Or they don't do love roller coaster. You know what I mean? It's like, how are you going to feel about that? And she's like, okay, you got a point. So I look at it through that lens. If you go out to enjoy yourself, you pay to get into a place. A lot of people buy new outfits to go out to some of these parties. <laughs> like you're in the hole, you know what I mean, for a good time. You get out and you don't hear anything that you want to hear. It's kind of a slap in the face. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It reminds me of all these like terrible, I don't think terrible. It reminds me of all these Lauren Hill stories we've been hearing over and over and over again. Yeah. Like, she does uh, do up that thing, but she it's does like a, a free jazz. Right. It's a free jazz. Like, yeah. I'd be like, oh, yeah, what? Yeah. yeah, exactly. At the same time, if you're still going to see Lauren Hill in 2018, you kind of deserve it to be taken. But they kind get, of. Neither I mean, here nor there. You know, I'll nor tell there. you about Lauren Hill, though. I felt the same way. The I've second been time very I, we'll, vocal about it. This will be the second time we'll talk about Lauren Hill in the opening set. But okay, anyway. word. Yeah. I've, been, I've been very vocal about my distaste for Lauren Hill's behavior at shows, to the chagrin of a lot of my colleagues. From the goofy set? Yeah. But, well, every year on July 4th, the Roots, they threw this big party, like probably for like 10 years straight. It was the, like... The Roots Picnic? Or? No. Oh. So this was different. Roots Picnic is probably about 10,000 people. This was a million people on Ben Franklin Parkway where the art museum is, where the Rocky Steps are. The Roots would curate and perform every July 4th. It was a free outdoor show. Families, everyone is welcome. The whole city would be there. And they always would bring surprise guests. You know, like, that's kind of their thing. Like, we're the roots, but we have all these A-list relationships. And yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, here's Bono, everyone. Yeah. One year, they brought Common, Queen Latifah, like all these huge acts. Uh, Neo. And one of the last performers they brought out was Lauren Hill. Everyone's going crazy, and I'm like, oh my God. 
why did they have to ruin the set with this? <laughs> what, what and happened? she killed it, and she murdered it. Okay. I was like, oh, okay, so if Amir or the right person's in charge, then her set is dope. And you could see her on stage, like, you know, motioning and, like, trying to change the set, and Amir's just like, nah, this is the set, hon. So maybe that's what she needs. She needs a person who's just as firm as she is to be like, no, this is the set. Do it the way people want to see it. Not a yes person. Right. Yeah, someone that's going like, to, like, critical advice. As a fan, not even as, like, as a boss or a manipulator, but just to be like, yo, this is what your fans want. That was sort of my point with, like, the Bahamadia thing. You know, she's an amazing artist with a huge legacy. She can still tour. Those records that she did with Premiere will always be classics. So why would you not perform them? Well, I think it's kind of the thing we're talking about, growing as an artist and changing with the times or whatever. Yeah. I know her music has changed in styles, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That could be it. But yeah, I think understanding like what people are really coming for, and then on top of the fact that they dropped a lot of money, or it's they a service. babysitters, or they Dog. called out a sick for a gig. Dog, and... I could write a novel about that shit, man. It's <laughs> like we would, we would go places, and I mean, we've been all around the world multiple times, and people would travel from quite a distance to see her. I mean, you got to think about, like, some people introduced to hip-hop on her music, or at least, like, you know, Gangstar Foundation or, like, around that time was, like, maybe the first time they heard hip-hop. And they're like, oh, she's the queen of hip-hop. And they'll travel from, like, Prague to whatever, some random Europe city, and it might be six, seven hours on a train. They spent their last to get there, and they show up and see us perform. Yeah, you kind of want to give them what they're expecting to see. To some extent, I'm not saying don't do new shit. Of course you should do new shit. But yeah, it's a service. So you, you mentioned, you know, Prague, and I know you've been to China. Name other countries and cities you've been in. Because I feel like you've been a, a lot of places. Yeah, right? I mean, one of my favorite places to go is South Africa. Like, I've been there with her multiple times. Multiple right? times. Mm-hmm. Big shout out to the homie DJ Ken Zero, who's out there. And okay, yeah, 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 I know that so name. Ken Zero's, like, super proper DJ promoter. Really, like, nice guy and just, like, super legit. He has a lot of relationships in radio, TV, everything. So he had a relationship with Sprite, and they basically paid for us to come out a couple times. And, yeah, it was just quite an experience because, for one, a lot of artists don't ever get to go to Africa, let alone go to perform there. It's one of those continents that's sort of, like, written off when people, like, think about places to go. Everyone's, like, trying to go to Amsterdam, trying to go to Paris, trying to go to Japan, like, all the typical places to go. But because those places are so typical and so frequented by artists, they're a little less excited than if you go to Dusseldorf, Germany, or if you go to Braunschweig, or, you know, like, these random places. So South Africa, it was just crazy because... There's a whole different relationship that that audience had to her music and to hip hop because of apartheid and because of, you know, their history of just not even really knowing a lot of like American music before a certain time. So a lot of them came up on her music. So they come out in droves, like obviously tons of women. And it's a profound experience for, you know, an indie hip hop act, especially as a DJ, to go somewhere where there's... 3,000 black faces looking back at you. And they're excited to see you. And like a few years ago prior, that would be completely illegal and shut down. Right. So it was just special, you know what I mean? Because we've been a lot of places, and I appreciate the experience of all those places, but it's different when you go somewhere and the people look like you, and they're like, oh, shit, like we're happy as hell that American black people came over here and actually fuck with us. We did a couple festivals and like, You know, I'd get on stage and pick up the headphones and there's like a roar 
oh my God, he's about to do it. And I'm like, oh shit. Like I never experienced that kind of love anywhere. So to have that happen and it's Africa, it's like, it's mind bending. And in addition to that, their knowledge of the music, we're doing a party, it's like, I don't know, say 2,500 people, 1.30 in the morning, I drop the next movement by the roots and every person in the room is screaming, the hot music, the hot, hot music, the hot music. And I'm like, dog, we don't even get this response in Philly. Yeah, yeah. So you go across the planet and people, like, they treat that music with so much respect. Uh-huh. It's crazy. Like, and I, and I talk about this from time to time, but at one point, I'm playing with Ken Zero. He played Don't Worry, Be Happy in the middle of the set. By McFerrin. Everybody was with him. <laughs> Everyone was with him. Uh-huh. Even I was tapping my toe a little bit. Shortly after that, he played... Uh, Company flow, the fire in which you burn. Dude, these are the, we're like we're going inside baseball. Down, yeah, 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 we're, we're going, going down the, the we're going hole. down the rabbit hole. Yeah, of, rabbit hole. Of, sorry, of yeah, indie rap. John smiling too. <laughs> everyone was with him. Everyone. What year is this? This is two thousand. This was two thousand eight. Was my first time there. Yeah. Okay. Is and it I've still been a is times it, kind of a similar kind of vein to this day? Or um, or? good question. I mean, the way I see it, the whole world is kind of either trapped out, selectioned out, or just EDM'd out. So my guess is that they're probably leaning more towards a selection vibe. Okay, well that's good. It's better than EDM. Yeah, out of the right. three, I would obviously go with that. Right. I mean, obviously, same. like Black Coffee's the man. Yeah. In South Africa, it's like the king. You know what I mean? So there's definitely going to be that house element, and you know that's just a thing for sure. Yeah, and also Afrobeats being like you know Jay Huss being mm-hmm. like the total yeah, yeah. the man. He's yeah, yeah. global all global, global pop and definitely. all that stuff. Definitely. So we're talking about you know you said mentioned earlier just moments ago about I can't even get this type of love or the roots can't even get this type of excitement. Back home in Philly, I don't. I'm not saying that the roots, but wouldn't get that yeah, excitement. Yeah, but if I drop yeah. that record for 2,000 people in Philly, it probably wouldn't do that. Maybe like a Meek Mill song, yeah, or like Frankie yeah, Billy yeah, yeah, before yeah. I let go. Mm-hmm. Either or, it's right, nothing, right, right, right. Yeah, that's it, spot on. Yeah, right. yep. it's it's nothing, yeah, nothing in between. And I've done both of those. <laughs> yeah, as we <laughs> yeah, should. Yeah. What we should do at night: Maze versus Meek Mill. <laughs> It's a new tribute party. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Every, tribute parties are sort of control right now. We I might as well just start doing, yeah. you know, Meek versus uh, Meek versus Maze. Everyone's <laughs> exactly. got to wear like a white hat, but we'll like, we'll, we'll be like, what's Meek Mill's like kind of defining like physical thing he wears all the time? I know. The Dream Chaser chain. Yeah, there you go. Dream Chaser yeah. with like the big white hat that Frankie yeah. Billy wears all the we'll time. We'll do that after the uh, the brand new heavies versus. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> we'll do a brand Jim new. Jamiroquai night? No, we'll do a brand new heavies versus uh, Artifacts night. No, 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 no. The blue, <laughs> blue face versus Jamiroquai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Awesome, awesome 40 minutes dude, yeah. of a club. <laughs> For sure. I kind of want to talk to you about how you end up here in the magical city of Los Angeles. Yeah. So you've been all around the world. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like also you say so you're doing these ball service clubs and you're you're at a very strong level in Philly. Yeah. Why did you walk away from that? Because A, I think there's a lot of DJs that work hard to a certain point, mm-hmm. and that'll be the last thing they do. Or B, there's people that work hard and they don't even make it that point. So they yeah. quit. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a great reason why, at least I hope so, of uh, why you said I'm leaving Philadelphia, the city that you're obviously flourishing in. What, yeah. What was it? Well, a big part of it was having a family. Gigs come and go. I've never been loyal to venues. Venues don't give a damn, bro. Like, I'd say most of the venues that me and Rich and people in our lane in Philly made money at closed at some point. Or they decided to go a different direction, got on some racist shit, and was like, oh, we're uh, now it's, we're an EDM club now. Or like, no hats. No hats, no... No jeans, no... No, no Tim's, no whatever I'm wearing. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So there's yeah. a lot of that in Philly. To me, to stay in Philly, like, based on gigs, is like a dumb reason to stay there. I feel like if I could do it 
in Philly, I could probably do it anywhere because Philly's pretty difficult As to you, get in the door. As we've been talking about. Right. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. And then also, you know, every time I would come to California for gigs or, you know, whatever, I didn't want to go back. Like, I'd be on the plane and I'd get instantly depressed. Like, as soon as they close the door, I'm like, oh, man, I'm about to go back to Philly. It was just L.A. or the Bay or what was it? Both. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've toured out here with Hez multiple times, and yeah, I've been here for different gigs, either with Bahamadia or where, whoever. Yeah, every time I would go back to Philly, I just, it was noticeable. Like, my attitude would change. I'd be like, man, I love Cali. Like, so it was actually a plan for a minute. Like, I'd say, I think my first tour out here was either 02 or 03 with uh, Les Nubians and Zap Mama and Schools of Thought. From that moment, I was like, yeah, I want to live in Cali. But it was, I was always like leaning more towards the Bay Area because, you know, the side of L.A. that I had seen at that point was very unimpressive. So I wasn't really into the idea of, of coming here. And ultimately what changed was meeting the right people, for one. Like, you know, meeting cats like DJ Expo and, you know, um, Mona Lisa's good people, Peanut Butter Wolf you know, key people that are making L.A. what it is. So that helped. And then also, one day I got a phone call from Yamin All World, who tours with Questlove as his host and tours with The Roots and stuff. And he was like, yo, a birdie told me that you're considering moving to Cali. And I was like, a little confused, like, what birdie's talking about this with you? But I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about it. And he was like, yo, be my roommate in L.A. And I was like, L.A.? Like, no, I'm not moving to L.A. And he's like, well, you know, think about it. We have some contacts that we could probably, like, mutually share and, like, it would be beneficial for both of us. And I was like, all right, bro. Like, I, I hung up and wasn't really even going to talk about it. And my wife was like, yo, who's that? I was like, it was Yamin. She's like, what do you want? And I'm like, he's talking about some L.A. move. Like, what? And she's like, well, you've been saying that you want to relocate to Cali at some point. And I'm like, yeah, but L.A.? Like, I'm not trying to go to L.A. Because I'm thinking of it like Hollywood, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, which is fair. Because if you don't, I, I think, not, not to jump in, but I used to hate coming to L.A. Yeah. But once uh, a lot of my friends moved, started moving down yeah. and they lived in different parts, I realized there's way more than just Santa Monica. Oh, yeah, Hollywood. 100%. There's infinitely yeah, more. So anyways, for sure. continue. So, yeah, but my impression of it was very limited. So she was like, well, you know, it might be worth just maybe even going out there for, you know, a few days and just poking around and seeing if there's anything that, you know, draws your interest. I'm like, all right, maybe. And then I did that. I had a couple homies that came here from other places, Philly and New York and stuff. So I had, you know, couches to crash on and whatever. So I was like, all right. So I came once or twice, and then I was like, okay. I'm starting to sort of see it. Like, I've started seeing Echo Park and Silver Lake and, like, all these other cool neighborhoods where there was shit happening. And then kind of became bi-coastal for about a year and a half. And then finally, I was just like, I can't keep doing this. I got I to gotta stay here. Because I would come here and I'd have all these great conversations. Things would sort of feel like it was in motion. Like, hey, we should do a night together. We should do, all, you know, collaborate. We should get in the studio. And and I felt like it was from a genuine enough place. Yeah, it wasn't where just L.A. It wasn't L.A. BS. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> which so happens, I was like, which is real. Yeah. Which for well, sure is anywhere, a thing. Actually. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's definitely a thing. Let's here. build fam. It's a cliche that's yeah, all around yeah, the world. Yeah, 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 exactly. When are we going to get up, man? Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I thought, like, wait, what are we getting <laughs> we're up? Get up. Like, oh, no, okay. We're up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're up. We're talking. <laughs> right. yeah. um, so so but then that turned into, all right, so maybe there's some opportunities here that I should explore. And what about uh, your your family? What were they saying? Were they like, we support you? So my son... 
was like totally down. My son, because I brought him here a few times ever since he was like super young. So he's like, I'm totally down. Like, I love California. Let's do it. My daughter was like super young. Like, she was like two. So whatever. And then, uh, and then my wife was like, Yeah, I could kind of get with it. But, uh, you know, my whole life is here. And your life too, though. Right. But I was far less attached to my life than she was. I think, you know, eventually she was just like, All right, like, I'll do it because you want to do it. Wow. Props and then, to her. Yeah, definitely props to her because she basically like changed her whole everything to come here and, and, and to be here as a family. And it was tough. It was like really tough to drop everything and start over. Like we didn't have a place to stay for like a minute, you know, and for months. And we didn't have work. And I was flying back and forth to Philly or going to Europe to do gigs. It was just like I was just hustling, you know what I mean? Trying to just keep it going. And then eventually uh, things worked out. Yeah. And th- these are the sacrifices I like hearing because this is what I think sometimes people jump ship and they leave something so comfortable. Mm-hmm. No one ever hears like, oh, you moved to L.A. and you made it. Dude. They just hear, they, again, like this is what this whole podcast is about. Yeah. Not just the highlights, but right. the less than cool shit. Dog, and then, this is not a game. I mean, not to say you're homeless, but your family didn't ha- not have a steady exactly. place to live. Exactly. We weren't on a lease anywhere. So it was just basically like we were at the mercy of L.A. Like for a good four or five months. It was, like, reckless. And, I mean, I had a, an okay amount of savings. It wasn't like it's I... Event, yeah. It's yeah. Not, I'm not a trust fund kid. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was, like, rolling in the dough. I was like, okay, we're budgeting. I got to figure this out. We're going to buy this amount of food this week and, like, figure it out. Like, real grown man, like... Budget. Yeah, down real grown the, man, like... Down to the like, dollar. Re, yeah, solutions, uh-huh. you know? And, uh, yeah, I'm glad we stayed the course because totally different now. So when did the kind of uh, the clouds kind of clear up a little bit? What were some things that kind of made it okay? So, so first, we were staying at this loft downtown, like basically Skid Row. Like 4th and San Pedro. Hectic as balls, bro. Like you open the window and like a hundred flies come in because just maggots like in front of the door. Like it was wild. So sirens all night, 4 a.m. shit. And again, it's like I respect, I totally respect the fact that like Skid Row is Skid Row and we were staying in a nice apartment on Skid Row. So I don't want to like sit and be like, oh, woe is me. But like it was real. It was the real deal. It was far less comfort than we came from in Philly. And I was like subletting from someone and the landlord rented the spot from under me. I found out like two days before we had to bounce. Just by chance, or he like, hey, by the way, you have 48 hours, just get your family. No, I, I hit him, and I was like, I was talking to him about something else, and I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, like, do you need a signature from me or whatever for the next, you know, set of months or whatever for this sublet? And he's like, oh, no, no, that's that's over, bro. Like, you got to roll. BT-dub. Yeah. You, you and your family get the fuck out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah you don't got to uh, go home. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was one ma- of those moves. Those maggots are moving in. Facts. <laughs> like, knock on the window. Right. Oh, yeah. So So at that point, I was like, okay. Either we're going to find a spot miraculously or some tickets to Philly need to get purchased, which was the realest shit because the last thing you want to do is to leave Philly, have a going away party. Oh, shit. Be a public person who people know that you left and Uh then to come back like, hey, guys, psych. Was that that like your biggest fear? Well, my biggest fear is being homeless. Okay. I can I can take people making some snide comments, you know what I mean? But okay. I'm not trying to have my family on the street. So I was just like, you know what? Craigslist, I'm like just calling every spot. And we call like three spots. And the first spot that we actually had an appointment to go see was the spot that we live at now in Pasadena. 
So that's when it was like, okay, so some things are happening. And it was weird, man. It had to be like divine intervention or whatever. And I'm not like one of those guys at all. But we probably went to see 40 places, filled out applications, and heard nothing back, or just straight got denied. We go to this spot, and the property manager is an ex-DJ who had a record store back in the day and loves house music. Wow. So we go in, and he's like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a <laughs> DJ. And he's like, oh, word? Me too. Uh-huh. And it was like, oh, shit. Let's, so let's we're in the fam. right let's place. Let's get up, man. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When are we going to get up, man? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was one of those deals where... You know, it just all the pieces fell into place. So then that that kind of cloud of you know housing your family kind of like yep. went away. And yep. then and then and then my wife got a job offer. Like she had been going on so many interviews, bro. Like the flakiness of LA is like a character in itself. Like it's just amazing. Like how many people will tell you things and not mean them, or mean them at the time and then not mean them ten minutes later. So she'd go on interviews, she'd nail the interview. She just basically would be waiting on an offer letter. She, and this happened like six times. And she would, she would come home excited. Babe, we got it. We're going to, you know, I got this job at whatever hospital. I like, yeah. I, we're good now. Yeah. And then it would be two weeks of nothing. And then she'd be like, maybe I should call Human Resources and see what's up with this offer letter. And she would call and they'd be like, uh, yeah, about that. Uh, that wasn't really on the table fully when you interviewed for it. It was just like real dumb shit that made no sense. So, yes, and then she got a proper offer, was like, yo, this is the real deal. You can actually start. And then, like, shortly after that, I got the call to work at Serato. Which is going to be a next part of our conversation. Yeah. It's a kind of an interesting question to ask a DJ because you're doing a job that maybe only a handful of people in the world do. Yeah. Like, being a DJ, it's somewhat common. Yeah. But it's not like there's, like, hundreds of people. Oh, yeah, I work at a music software company. Right, That's right, small. Right. Yeah, Then definitely. I work at a DJ software company. Yep. That's small. Then yep. I work at, like, the leading DJ software right, company. Right, 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 yeah. So what were kind of the, I don't want to say hoops you jumped through to get the job, but how was that kind of conversation even started? How did that happen? Well, it definitely helps that I've known OP for years. Okay, Philly, OP Miller. Mm-hmm. Shout out to him. Yeah, yeah, shout to OP. I've known him. He's been, like, family for years. When he found out that there was, an, you know, there was going to be, like, a vacant opportunity in LA he was like oh Sonny will be good for this and he called me and he's like yo bro uh what are you doing right now I was like nothing like I was just kind of like bullshitting and then he's like you shoot video right I was like yeah I do and he's like okay here's what you need to do go home right now update your resume include these things send them to me ASAP and I was like okay what's happening he's like there's an opportunity at Serato and I just got to leave it at that and I was like really okay so I did that Sent it over, and then Matt called me and was like, "Yo, Matt, cut corners, cut corners." Shout called me and too, was like, yeah. "Yo, are you, you really trying to do this?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "I thought you would be too busy to do this," and I was like, "Well, I'm busy, but this is an opportunity that I've become less busy for, bro. Like, I want to do it." Did you come to LA to continue DJing, or did you come to LA to kind of transition into something else? That's a great question because I came to LA to transition into something else. I didn't want to be the guy having a cell phone shoved in my face every night for $200. Well, no, Not no. that I was that guy in Philly, but in LA, <laughs> that's a thing. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's yeah. a thing everywhere. And yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, no one likes that if they're doing it for $1,500. Yeah, that's yeah, like yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's, it's trash regardless. Yeah. But I definitely didn't want to be hustling like gig to gig, like yeah. struggle face, you know what There's I mean? enough of those guys already out there. Well, yeah, there's that. And then it's just like, how long are you going to do that? Are you going to be that guy in your 40s? I mean, no disrespect to anyone who's playing that game. My hat's off to you because I know what you deal with every night. It's trash. 
and you deal with like, you know, coked up managers on some shit. I've gotten the text, switch it up. It's too black. All that shit. So my hat's off to anybody that does it. But I didn't want to move to L.A. to be that guy. To me, it was like a significant downgrade. I only really wanted to play gigs that I cared about with my friends, you know. And so far, it's been great because when I do play, it's usually with great homies like Inca One and Expo and DJ Day and like fam, our peers who get it, you know what I mean? So that's really what I came to L.A. for was to soak up the culture, not just be like some dude in a bar. And honestly, when I first came here, I asked Recluse if there was an opening at Serato, and he's like... Pfft. That never happens, bro. Sorry. Wow. Is that Was that to kind of mess you up when you heard it? No, it didn't mess me up because it was a shot in the dark. Yeah. But I was definitely like, damn, that would have been perfect if there was an opportunity at a Serato or a Scratch Academy or, you know, something that's in my field, but I don't have to, like, feel like I'm sharecropping every night. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's very limited here. Like, you have, like extremely. music industry, I mean, it, it's pretty wide and big. Yeah. Here. But then you get into, like, DJ life and right. jobs, like, okay, that gets limited. And you get into, like, the company. It, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it funnels it's down super, to, like, super where niche. it's, yeah. like, Dog, yeah. It's literally four of us for the United States at Serato who do, you know, we're an extension of the marketing department. So, essentially, we're marketing, but we're the artist relations part of marketing. So, basically, like, all of the artists that we see that are visible, like the A-Tracks and Jazzy Jeffs and, you know, Z-Trips and all those guys who you know, who we noticeably see using Serato, those are the guys that we maintain a relationship with. So if A-Track calls me right now, interview over. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, that's another funny thing, because aside from your day-to-day, yeah. you, I've called you frantically, like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. Doesn't, I've called Cut Corners. Yeah. So I've called you many times doing this kind of last-minute, like, tech support. I'm freaking yeah. out. How does it work? Is that on the resume, or is that because we're the special homies? Or and It's a little bit of both. <laughs> it's a little I'll bit take of both. Patrick's call. Yeah, right, yeah, 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 of yeah. course. But yeah, I mean, the homie, of course. But, yeah, that's pretty much what we do. Again, we're not support, so essentially I encourage anyone with these problems to go to support because they know what they're talking about. They're trained. They deal with it all day long. They know what the issues are. They could probably answer your question way quicker than I can. But for, like, the kind of, like, rudimentary shit, we can help. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm not gonna lie. Just sometimes you just like copy and paste a thing from like the forum. Like use this. I'm all like, oh shit, he's busy. <laughs> like, no, and also, I, you know what's funny? It's the good thing about becoming friends with you and Matt is that yeah. it's maybe way more um, proactive about learning software in Serato. Yeah. And like, you know, we were just talking about do you estimate and what do the lines mean right. and how do you make a straight arm turntable? Like yeah, really yeah. nerdy shit. Because yeah. it, seeing you and seeing Matt and you know and Destruct as well and yeah. OP be so like masterful with knowing this program yeah. that um, yeah, it just kind of makes you more curious. And yeah. you mentioned YouTube university, right? There's so much information that's like at our fingertips that yeah, anyone definitely. can really access. And some of it is horseshit too. Because, so you got to be careful because sometimes it, you'll get like some dude who's very eloquent with all the wrong info. <laughs> <laughs> that's eloquent with the wrong info. I I'm going to put that on my tombstone. Like, <laughs> I'll give you the best sounding answer that doesn't really work or something like right, that. Right, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you feel great while I don't solve any of your problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's like the, the modern version of like, oh, it, it, it bees like that sometimes. Exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So anyways, we're going to get this pizza or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like hey, a man. non-statement. Tough break. Tough break. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about equipment and does equipment kind of make the DJ still or is it now? It's, Hell no. You know, like you know front line. I don't feel like the equipment ever made the DJ. Okay. I feel like what makes the DJ is the music first because ultimately people want to hear what your taste is. 
you know, and, and obviously and we the come, service aspect too. The service aspect too, but we come from the era where like your position was taken very serious. Not only like what you play, but how you put it together was why people were coming to see you. You know, now it's sort of like more of a jukebox thing going on, but you know, my mentality is always like, okay, I know I'm at your service, but I'm going to do it in a way that the other guy's not going to do it. Okay. Yeah, I've used the metaphor. It's like the English alphabet. There's only so many letters, mm -hmm. but it's up to people that know how to formulate the best words, the best sentences, the best paragraphs. Yeah. The ones that kind of get their idea across. They're the ones definitely. that come to great writers. Yeah, so definitely. It's like, it's, so it's never who has the most bells and whistles. It's how to play those bells and whistles. Well, yeah. I mean, and there's obviously a place for those bells and whistles. I, you know, I think sometimes people get off on this tangent about like, uh, you know, if you're relying on cue points, then you're a gimmick DJ. It's just like, okay, maybe from your perspective, but I love Miles Medina. You know what I mean? And that's like, he freaks the hell out of like cue points and samples and like, He's a maniac. Cue points for our listeners that don't know. The cue point is basically like a bookmark on a song. Yeah. So you can always, you hit a button and your song will always return to that point. And you right. can put multiple bookmarks, just right. like in a book, if you're yeah. studying in multiple points along the along the track. Exactly. And like back in the day, we used to have to like put those little stickers yeah, on the at, record. At a certain point to so know your needle right there. Go and like slide to it. Yeah, that's but, an yeah. advanced DJ shit. I, never, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get that nerdy, but I did get nerdy. Yeah, yeah. So I think you meant to something about the whole jukebox thing. And I kind of doing my prep work for this talk with you. Yeah. I was using the word, you know, discipline, like less discipline or more discipline. Mm. And tell me if I'm wrong and I could be wrong and or maybe I'm just unclear on it. Is it safe to say that at one point, not across the board entirely, but things may have been a little more disciplined and or are things a little less disciplined now? You're talking about overall? Yeah. Are we in a less disciplined time or maybe we come from a more disciplined time that was necessary or, or what do you think? I think the barrier of entry is low for sure. So you don't necessarily have to, you know, put in 10,000 hours to like be a good DJ because ultimately the guy who started DJing last month can be booked at the do-over because he's a popular producer or actor. And as long as he's playing the shit that people want to turn up to, it's going to be lit. Okay. So what is the point then, then us practicing and us, you know, caring about our set? And I mean, again, I guess I'm playing devil's advocate, but I mean, I, I take obviously this pretty seriously. I might yeah. do it for a living and yeah. we, you and I know each other and mm -hmm. we know what kind of cloth we're cut from. Yeah. So what's, so what, what am I worried about? What's the big deal? Who cares? Is it just DJing or is, well, it, is there I mean, something? It's like the same argument as like, do you practice being a painter? Or do you just wheat paste magazine pictures onto a canvas and write some letters on it? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, both are art, but I feel like they kind of have two different audiences. Like the people who actually care about the time that you spent on that painting are going to really appreciate your discipline. So for me as a DJ, I know that if I'm playing in like some random club downtown or some bottle service club that most people just want to get faded and turn up. But at the same time, I know that there's going to be a core group of people who understand what I'm doing, who are going to be like, oh, shit, that record really talked to that record, and then that he looped that, and that made, okay, that was really cool how that happened. To me, it's about, like, maintaining a certain, like, bar. Because okay. that's what we've done in Philly, is, like, we watched the, you know, DJ Rands, Cosmic Kev, Jazzy Jeff Cash, Money King Brit, Rich Medina and the list goes on and been like, okay, we need to at least maintain and yourselves, that. And give yourself some credit too. Well, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but even us just coming up watching all that, we were like, we need to maintain like that bar because that's what DJing is. 
It wasn't even about this what Philly DJing is. To me, there was like that's what DJing is. Sure, sure. Yeah. So when you guys, you know, when I say you do, I'm, I'm talking like you know people that are the very technical aspect, like the Matthew Law and the Miles Medina yep. and, and Day and you yep. know Expo. We get just tons of people. Yeah. I mean, does that even matter nowadays though? Because I feel like it depends on who you ask. I mean, I think it matters. Okay. You probably like, think it matters, right? I, I think, I think you know, when you're talking about the whole painting thing, like to me it matters because I have a standard. And I, right. I grew up listening to, you know, I'm from the Bay Area, Shortcut, right. Q-Bird. Of course. DJ Quest. I'm not going to hang dog shit on my wall just because you said it's art and it costs money. Yeah, I love that. Fuck, that's really good. <laughs> Repeat that one more time. I said I will not be hanging dog shit on my wall because you said it's art, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I think it's also personal standards too. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes I feel like I come into a gig and I'm like, you know, cue points and blends and making edits and da-da-da and I just I feel like it's almost like the guy coming in playing the upright bass as opposed to the guy playing the synth. That's just a good it, way to put it, but yeah. I mean, there's if you're going the extra mile, then there's you're far more likely to be noticed because it's something different than someone else did. And you're far more likely to be invited to do something somewhere else. Yeah. I think that's kind of the whole term. I think about it all the time and it's from like a fellow Philly DJ XL. He said this Mm -hmm. idea of lifer. Right. So if you're a lifer, people will be like, in time or over time, yep. they will appreciate what you're doing yeah. and, and whatnot. So this whole like kind of uh, this you know this clutching the pearls idea of DJing is too democratized. Yeah, that is some boogeyman bullshit. That's just all in my head and other people's heads. Uh, or is it- well, I don't know that it's in your head. I mean, I think it's a concern, but I don't know that equipment is the problem. I think the reality is that we live in a microwave society, and nothing that we say on this podcast is going to change that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you think, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I'll show you. We're changing everything. So yeah, yeah it's 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 just it's just like, bro. Like we live in this society where a person slipping on a banana peel on Instagram was going to get more followers than me and you overnight. And we work for twenty years how to be who how we are. Dare you? They think <laughs> I'm so offended right now. But so, yeah, but, but a little at bit the that. same time, it's like, okay, well, how many times is that person going to have to slip on that banana peel to keep an audience engaged? Maybe a bunch, and maybe they'll keep them engaged for five years, and then people are going to be off that. Yeah. Remember Vine? How significant Vine was for yeah. a certain amount of time? People don't even remember. I had to like stop for a second, like, oh yeah, like, what Vine. Was Vine? Exactly. And Vine was the shit for a minute. And like now it's that's over. Or like it's, it's something else now. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm into memes. I'd be like, oh, the chocolate rain guy. Like that guy is exactly. He's you know right. He's probably doing something. Who knows what he's doing? I mean, it's hanging it's, out with DJ it's, Static. It's like <laughs> it's iconic in a in a kind of like ironic and jokey way. We're laughing like, at you, but not. But with exactly. You. Okay. And it, I think the choice that you have to make in the world of entertainment is: are you going to be the person that people are laughing with or laughing at? I don't know that either are wrong or right, but it's just like the choice that you have to make. And for me, I'd rather you be laughing with me because I don't want my legacy to be like, he's a clown. Wow. You're talking about legs. That's great. Yeah. So in summation, don't be the chocolate rain guy. Or be the chocolate rain guy <laughs> and just stay out of my way because I'm not trying to be the chocolate rain guy. Oh, I <laughs> love that. I yeah. love that. That's how it's going to be. Yeah. Be whack, but just stay out of my well, way. Just stay the hell out of the way. That's all. Well said. All right. Always the last question I like to ask people. Uh, I don't ask all the time because these conversations just kind of go all these directions. Oh, that's all good, man. But... You know, you're about to get hyped. You need to, you know, you're going to go, I don't know, shoot a free throw at the World Series or the wrong sports analogy. You know right. what I'm saying? A yeah. song you put on to get you hyped to just get you in your zone. What would it be? Oh, my God. It depends on the party. You know, no, I play I everything. You got to wake up. I got to go. I got to take the kids to school. And I have a very important uh, presentation. I need to get a song that gets me in the fucking zone. An anthem. 
Man, it would probably be something like weird, like Sam Galatry track or something. Oh wow! Yeah, damn. It'd probably be something that like really like makes me go, God damn! How do you make this? Like shit? the stank face, right? Stank face track. Yeah. Or like you know maybe like Hot Cheetos by like Mino Neon or something. Like, that. <laughs> like something like off the beaten path. Like, yeah. I love that because I listen to like you know again you know we all the popular music like we've heard it you know what I mean we've heard it so much we've heard all the edits we made the edits we get it yeah. but the stuff that really excites me is the shit that I almost never hear and that's the era of DJing we come from right like that's the reason like Rich Medina is who he is you know we've been talking about him a lot but there's significance to him and his brand and his legacy and it's that. The education factor. Oh, we're talking about selection, like Joe K being this, like, yes, yeah, he's uh, another good, now of the. He's, he's another good example. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like, to me, that's what I want to go out and hear. I'll go out and hear homies who are technical, like, you know, I'll go hear XL. I know he's not going to fucking play like anything deep in a top 40 club, but the way he's going to play it is going to be fire. But the places I really want to go is like the places where like people are like introducing me to shit where I'm like, damn. I gotta lean over, yeah. train spot a little bit. My Shazam, real quick. Right. Like, hey, I'm, I'm somebody like, from Serato. Let's yeah. have a swap. Uh, yeah. uh, nice to meet you. I'm Shazami Davis Jr. <laughs> <laughs> like to play the next Kate not like whoever is coming up. Yeah, something like that. All right. Yeah. So your so your so your anthem would be some bugged out weird shit you didn't that. Probably, would. probably some weirdo, some not even weirdo shit, but just something like that's not like super popular. Okay. All right. So yeah. you know, I'm sorry, that's kind of a whack answer. It's no, like, no, that's good. It's, yeah. it's it's it actually it's not the whack answer. It's like one of the more unique ones because most people say like you know something very anthemic something from like the, their past that they've grown up and you hit me with like some new future beat shit so to that's me, why we're here man to me it's like the question of what's your favorite color it's like well I mean I like black t-shirts and you know I like I'd probably wear a blue suit but I don't want like a powder blue car <laughs> you know what I mean? It just depends on the context. Fair enough, man. <laughs> so for all our friends listening, uh, what, uh, what's like the best number one place you would d- guide people to kind of follow you and check up on what you're doing? I'm on all social media at Mr. Sonny James. That's M-R-S-O-N-N-Y James. And uh, you can follow me on uh, my website, MrSonnyJames.com. And uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, ovibe.com. I also do a radio show on Dash Radio every Thursday called Ugly Bass Unzipped, where we play a lot of off the beaten path, like feature beats and soulful electronic music. Uh, I also do a show called Across the Tracks every Monday. That's the Philly based show. The Dash Radio is the LA based show. So pretty busy. But Across the Tracks is like more of my foundation as a DJ, like funk, soul, hip hop, jazz. Like, yeah, I'm playing everything from, you know, Cal Jader to Selection. Yeah. You know? And they can always call you at Serato <laughs> too. <laughs> Three yeah. in the, no but, matter what time feel, of day, yeah. call you at Serato. Like, yo, free, bro. Yeah, feel uh, free to show up at my door with your computer open. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Those <laughs> yeah. maggots will come get you. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. All yeah. right, man. Thank yeah. you so much, Mr. Sonny James. Hey, appreciate your time. Yeah, Yo, thanks Everybody so much for inviting me, bro. Yeah, I really yeah, appreciate yeah, being yeah. a part of this. Thank you very much, my man. Yeah, of course. All man. right, we're good. Yeah.